You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Hello and welcome to another episode in our series of podcasts about positive influences. Today, I am delighted to welcome Helen Evans, Chief Executive of Network Housing Group and the outgoing chair of the G15. Welcome, Helen. Hi. Um, Helen, obviously, you're, you're the Chief Executive and have been involved in affordable housing for, for a very, very long time. Um, and this last year has been a real challenge. How have you and your organisation looked to have a positive influence on people and society as a whole? Well, I suppose that question falls into two parts. And the the first part is the most immediate through the COVID pandemic. We've um, attempted to demonstrate that we can keep business running as usual. We've supported people living in our homes. We've collaborated as organisations across the G15 to work together to solve problems in what is undoubtedly a national crisis. Um, And we've worked really hard at staying connected uh, within our organisation to make sure that, you know, people feel as secure and able to perform their roles as they possibly can do. And I think in in a lot of respects, we've provided a real example and a real demonstration of how housing associations and the sector in general can be a positive enabler within the communities in which we work and the pe- for the people who live in our homes. Um, so I suppose the answer there is that we've tried to demonstrate positive influence by example. Um, looking at the sector more generally and over the longer term, I think everybody would acknowledge that in order to make the best that you can of your life, you have to have a decent and appropriate place to live. And housing associations have worked to meet that need in uh, our country for decades, even decades in some cases, and demonstrated the difference that they can make to people, not because we're trying to be a substitute for the welfare state, not because we're trying to be the kind of prop in people's lives, but because we provide a foundation for people to live their best life and do what it is that they want to do, whether it be raise a family or pursue a career or be part of a community or whatever they want to do. People will have to have a decent home in order to be able to do it. And I think by demonstrating the impact that that can have for people, um, we have a positive influence on the way that society is organised in ensuring that people's basic needs are met. Yeah, I think one of the really, I mean, having worked uh, like you in, in the housing world for for decades, for a very long time, I think one of the, the misnomers perhaps is that people just think it is about housing, but actual fact it isn't. It's actually mm-hmm. about communities and, and creating those communities and supporting those communities. And um, for me, that is as, as important almost as the bricks and mortar because mm-hmm. it's how people come together, isn't it? I agree with that, although I think it is what's appropriate to the individual and to the place. So, you know, in some circumstances, there is an absolute need to actively, proactively create a place that a community can form, whether it's a new town or a regeneration area or something similar. But in other sort of settings, there can be more bespoke, almost less grandiose um, interventions than creating a community. I always feel a bit anxious about that expression because communities create themselves. We put in conditions where the people who live in homes 
have the right places where they can meet, they have the sort of right facilities that they can utilise, but we don't actually create the community. The community develops itself with the foundation that we've put in place. So looking, looking at you as yourself rather than, than the, your roles as Chief Exec and, and the GPP, mm-hmm. looking at your wider interests, how do you try as a person, an individual, to have a positive influence? I'm not sure that I consciously do try to have a positive influence. I try to be, and this is going to sound a bit pretentious, but I try to be the best person that I can be. I try to have a sort of set of principles by which I organize and live my life I don't always live up to my very high principles but I you know I do my best to do so I think in in a sort of more structured sense I hope I've been a positive influence to a lot of the people that I've worked with by setting the example of someone who didn't set out to have a career in housing of the type that I've had who didn't intend to be a chief executive didn't think you know at the age of 20 in fact at the age of 20 I hadn't got a clue what I was going to do Um, but that I have been able to build a career in organizations where I've just been able to demonstrate my ability to make a contribution and so I hope that shows people and particularly young women is that if you haven't set out to put all these building blocks in place it doesn't mean to say that you can't progress in a, a professional career and you know achieve some success so I hope I hope that's been part of a positive influence. So I, th- I think that's really important because actually, so you know, the question I often get asked is, well, how, as a young woman starting in a legal profession, how do I get to where you are? And I'm going, well, I didn't plan to get here. <laughs> <laughs> that isn't quite how I didn't have. I didn't have this grandiose career path. That isn't. I just loved what I did, and 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 yeah. I didn't ever believe I couldn't do something. I suppose that, that that's no. I think I think demonstrating a bit of self-confidence and being able to say to people, look, the fact that you haven't necessarily done this before doesn't mean to say that you can't do it. I mean, I quite often tell a story when I'm doing induction for people coming to work for network that my career is, and this always sounds a bit predatory, so I have to caveat it, has been based on looking at whoever my boss was and thinking, I could do that. Yeah. Sometimes thinking, I could do that better than you're doing and gaining the confidence to, you know, take on bigger and more senior roles um, through exposure to them. So, so believing in yourself, obviously, is, is, a, is a key thing, um, a key mm-hmm. aspect, I'd say, to, to have when you're looking at how you influence. But what other qualities do you think um, are, are really key and important in order for you to, for people to influence or implement change? I think I'd like to go back to what you just said about believing in yourself, because whilst I think that that is important and, you know, I don't, I think that people have to take the view that you don't need to have specific characteristics necessarily to achieve. You don't need to, you know, have demonstrated a kind of particular qualification. I mean, obviously you do if you want to be a lawyer, but, you know, in some circumstances it's more about you than about the, um, external validation but I also think and I think in my career I've been driven quite a lot by doubt you know I I think that some of the most difficult people that I've ever worked with are those who have this absolutely unshakable self-belief and so in any kind of circumstance believing yourself is a in yourself is a positive thing but don't fail to question yourself and if you know doubts are appropriate have have doubts and I feel I've been driven by that sort of 
you know, on the one hand, uh, motivation to fix things and to make things work well. And then on the other hand, the sort of sufficient self-doubt to question, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right thing in these circumstances? Um, and not overplaying the self-belief, because like, as we've all been told over and over again, you know, a strength overplayed becomes a weakness. And if you think you're always right, then you're definitely wrong about that. I think I think you're absolutely right on, on that. I mean, I, what I've found fascinating about this series actually so far is everybody has a different view, really, on what a what a positive influencer is and and, and why we need mm. people to positive or do we need people? I suppose is another question um, to actually positively mm. influence outcomes. Um, and I think I was interested in your view on that because somebody did challenge and say, well, you know, is it is it right that there that there are positive influences, or is it right that just circumstances create that? ability to be a positive influencer and I think it's quite a difficult question to ask to be honest but it, mm. it's an interesting dis- debate um I think I think it's an interesting debate as well because I think you know people's achievements or things that we're setting out to achieve and then succeed in achieving are almost never the work of a single individual they're always the work of a team interacting with a set of circumstances so you know whilst I would say that a network homes has been a positive thing in most of the work that it's done and influence uh, positive influencer in the way that it's supported communities and so on that isn't necessarily because that was our plan and we had a plan and we delivered it it was because we were able to interact with a you know a set of circumstances and and had had an outcome that we pursued and if you look at the, you know, the origins of organisations such as ours, which began as Brent People's Housing Association with a single house in Wilsdon, you know, that wasn't setting out with a plan to positively cater for the housing needs of, you know, thousands of households. It was attempting to deal with a much smaller problem, but the interaction with circumstances and people and talents and attributes and so on had a much wider outcome. So what is the best bit of advice you think you've ever been given throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, I haven't been consciously in lots of positions where people have said, I strongly advise you to X. But I have worked with a lot of people. I've been blessed with actually working with a lot of, you know, really great bosses over the years. And, of course, they sort of influence and they nudge and they... um, you know, provide observations. So I think one of the most important things for me is to think before you act. You know, certainly in my younger years, and even even now, I have to consciously manage the impulse. If I see a problem, if I see something that I don't think is as it should be, to really dive in without first reflecting on, you know, this is the way into this course of action, what's the way out of this course of action? Um, and so, and that relates to something that I wouldn't say is a piece of advice that I've been given, but which is one of my kind of philosophies, which is, is that you have to know yourself. It's the same thing as, you know, having a bit of doubt, matching mm, yeah. self-belief. I have to manage certain kinds of tendencies in my personality to ensure that they aren't damaging to what I'm trying to achieve and slightly impulsive or hasty action reaction to things is one of those so you know having 
done that sort of thing occasionally in the past, and I'm not going to give any examples <laughs> to relive our grief, but, you know, having acted hastily on one or two occasions and regretted it substantially, I'm now much more measured before before I jump. The other, the other thing that I think has been, you know, talked to me over the years is to recognise the impact that you have on other people, particularly in relation to hierarchies and positional power. Because I, you know, I can, and I'm much better than I used to be, but I can have a bit of a short fuse and snapping at somebody who's a kind of quite different level than you in an organisation has, you know, unduly detrimental effect on them. And so you have to learn to kind of manage that behaviour and a tendency to be a bit stroppy is something that one or two people have pointed out to me <laughs> from time to time and I've tried to teach myself not to do it um, because, you know, quite often in the moment you don't think that you think yeah. we're, we're two people having a robust discussion, not, you know, I am the senior person in this discussion who's frightening this other person, frightening the life out of this other person. So. You know, not clear. Those weren't clear bits of advice that you know were handed to me. But it is interesting, isn't it? Again, I suppose it's the the positive influence of people around you that that you respect. In yeah. effect, you, you learn from that as well. Um, and and certainly that in my career, there's been people that I've worked with and for, um, and clients that that I've actually I've learned a lot from actually watching them and how they've had yeah. and things like that. So that's really really interesting. I think that's the best way to learn, actually. And I think that's one of the things about being a positive influencer is if you have a, an opportunity not to try and teach somebody something in a kind of structured way, but just say, well, come and work with me and I'll learn a bit from you and you'll learn a bit from me and we'll both benefit from it. And at the moment, I'm very lucky to have had the opportunity to do what I think is described as reverse mentoring um, as part of our diversity pledges in both the G15 and in network, working with two women uh, consecutively, not at the same time, in our organisation, from whom I have been able to, you know, learn an enormous amount about how my behaviour is perceived in the organisation, generally positively, but, you know, um, with a view to making a change in the in the future and what works in the organisation and what doesn't. So, it, again, it comes back to um, knowing yourself, doesn't it? I mean, it's, and it's mm. also going back to being prepared to accept that you're not perfect, which none of yeah. us are. Um, and some people don't like being told that, but you know, it, it actually it's important to hear the feedback. Well, I think you know, I think maybe the piece of advice there is that people have to understand that you can't expect to be perfect. Yeah. You know, I think people are people are encouraged to think that you have to be the finished article in every situation and that, you know, this if you, if you make a mistake, then that's a sort of personal failure. Well, it might be. Some, some mistakes are personal failures, but nobody's perfect and we're all learning all the time. Yeah. So sort of off left field question, but as a um, as a woman in housing, so as a female leader in housing, what would you say your biggest challenge has been in your different posts? Because obviously you've not, you know, before network, you you, you were at Brent, um, mm-hmm. and lots of different posts, but all with different challenges, I suspect. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that the, the gender 
issue is resolved. I don't think that there's the sort of overt problems that we used to encounter maybe. When I, when I first worked in housing many, many years ago, my then manager categorically told me that women shouldn't work in housing because it was too tough. Um, and, you know, he then proceeded, and it was a him, to try and make the working environment as difficult as possible, I think largely to prove his point. So that sort of thing, I imagine, is much less common than it used to be. But I still encounter, to this day, I encounter situations where I feel I'm being overlooked. I don't mean for a job or anything like that, but, you know, just sort of marginalised slightly because uh, I'm a woman. And I think it's partly about, um, you know, it's probably partly about the way I present myself. But it's just that sort of assumption that technical knowledge or certain kinds of assertiveness will come will come from men. And some of the worst kind of circumstances that, that I encounter that are big group meetings. To this day, I can't stand the kind of industry dinner where everybody has to make a little speech. You know, what do we think about this? And everybody makes a little speech. And I always sit there thinking, well, you know, A, you're telling me things I already know. And B, this is not a conversation. It's a series of, of um, set pieces. And I think men are more comfortable doing that than women. I mean, it's generalising hugely, of course. Um, you know, other challenges. I mean, I, I don't feel that I've faced sort of structural challenges. I don't feel that there's ever been an overt barrier preventing me do doing what I needed to do um you know I have managed to combine a career with having a family and all the you know difficult things that people do but those are difficult for everybody and I don't feel that there's been structural barriers it's been much more the sort of psychological emotional things that sometimes you feel this isn't quite right and you know lots of things don't worry me at all it never bothers me if somebody, you know, holds a door open or I'm not that kind of purist about sexual politics, but I do think that there is still sexism in workplaces. And I, you know, I I find that surprising, really. When I was a young person working in a housing department, I would have thought racism, sexism, all kinds of discrimination would have been long in the past by now and of course it isn't so yeah, I absolutely agree I mean I think I've, I've been incredibly lucky throughout my career um my daughter started her career and actually she's feels very very strongly about uh, the fact that women are still fighting to, to get equality in, in the workplace and she she probably feels stronger than I did and I've got stronger because of listening to her and seeing what she's doing yeah. I think you forget that you're very senior now so I've got a responsibility to actually ensure that other generations have a bit of an easier time which is which is important I think the best yeah. bit of advice I, I was ever given was um uh, so don't don't think you'll be a perfect mother don't think you'll be a perfect you won't you won't be a perfect mother, perfect or, mother lawyer. yeah yeah or perfect lawyer yeah yeah you just yeah. do the best you can in all three yeah so probably my bit of good advice has there been I mean the answer to this may be no but it's been interesting certain people have had what they've called sort of defining moments or things that events that have helped them define their outlook on life was was there ever something like that for you or has it been more an evolution well 
I mean, it depends whether you're talking about the personal or the professional, really. I mean, I think in the personal context, there have been quite a number of things that have been massively influential for me. Um, One was the role of my mother, who, you know, was a very intelligent and resourceful woman, but who didn't have the opportunities that I have had and therefore didn't have the kind of career that I've been able to have and who pushed me to always, I mean, she used to kind of take the view that you must be able to look after yourself. You know, she had the kind of attitude that you needed to not be dependent upon anybody else, whereas, of course, she had always been dependent on other people financially and so on. So that was a a very important part of uh, my background. And then another thing that has been a very important part of the way I see the world is that I had one of my siblings had quite a serious disability. Um, And growing up with a sibling with a learning disability uh, has quite a profound effect on the person because you see the sort of judgment of society, particularly with somebody like my brother, who he was just a little bit, he didn't look quite as people expected him to. He didn't behave quite as people expected him to. And and as a child, I remember being, you know, protective, defensive, but then sometimes embarrassed and ashamed. And it's had quite a profound effect on how I view people, I think, and how I'm, you know, aggressively non-judgmental. Yeah. And that sort of feeds in to how I see life and how actually I see the kind of way that we ought to provide services which ought to take people as they are not necessarily tolerate everything that they do because that's a different issue but take people as they are and view them as of equal value um you know however they are yeah yeah absolutely so one thing we're asking everybody in this series is if there was one thing that you could positively influence over, say, the next year or the next five years, depending on what it it is, what what would it be? One of the things that I would like to influence, and I don't don't, uh, flatter myself that I'm probably able to in any significant way, but is the quality of political debate in this country, which I think is absolutely woeful and getting worse. Uh, The lack of transparency, the lack of decency and honesty about positions, the way that it's impossible to have a political discussion that doesn't consist, it would seem, of kind of, you know, short sound bites. It's a bit of a reflection of the of the dinner, you know, where everybody makes their speech. If you I don't know why I do it, as a sort of exercise in masochism, but I watch Andrew Marr every Sunday. I watch him asking the questions and the politicians answering a different question from over here. And what, you know, I feel about that is it's not getting any of us anywhere. And I'm quite prepared to believe that most people, not everybody, but most people are well motivated, even if there are widely differing political views, and that it would be much better if we could honestly talk about, take, for example, adult social care. You know, we all know there's a problem with adult social care. We all know that there isn't a massive you know, financial resource that can go into it. We all know that people don't want to have to pay for it themselves or sell their houses or whatever. 
but we don't seem to be able to accept that with everybody well motivated, we could have an honest discussion about this and maybe, just maybe, claw our way to some kind of solution. I don't know how you influence that. To, to, to my way of thinking, it's been getting worse over the years, yeah. not better. You know, the inability to have honest discourse. We've got a terrible problem with fire safety remediation. It's going to cost a great deal of money. You know, the government doesn't want to pay for it. We don't want to pay for it. We don't want the leaseholders to have to pay for it. How can we work together to find a solution to this problem? So that sort of honesty and transparency and openness is something that I'd like to be able to influence if I could over the next five years. I'd like to see more focused attention given to the impacts of and the elimination of, hopefully, poverty in the UK. Um, you know, we talk a lot about housing in, as though it's a, a, an issue in isolation, but housing is an essential foundation. But actually, unless it goes with a reasonable sort of level of a standard of living, level of prosperity on its own, it isn't enough. And poor housing and poverty create poor life chances for children, poor educational outcomes for children. We all know this. We need to talk about what we're going to do about, you know, the source of the problem. In relation to the sector, I would like to be part of a debate which understands the role of the sector properly, which debates and understands it, um, and which creates a better relationship between the sector other stakeholders, but most particularly with some of the people who live in our homes. You know, people who live in our homes, I think, are, are very satisfied with the home that they have and they just want to get on with their lives. But we have to acknowledge that there is, you know, a reputational issue for housing providers, not just associations, but also local authorities. And I would like to be part of fixing that relationship, if I could. Well, if you manage to do any one of those, Helen, uh, we'll be in a better place. So I, <laughs> I wish you luck and I hope you do. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you very much. No, thank, thank you ever so much for, for, for your time. And it's, that was a brilliant, fascinating debate. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at Trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.